0: Part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com.
1: Welcome to Bustin Blockbusters. We are covering, finally, after years of waiting, we are finally covering the Lord of Rings, Rings of Power on Amazon, and we got a twofer this week with our first episodes of the series we got season one episode one a shadow of the past which was written by jd Payne and patrick mckay the showrunners and directed by jay bayona and we got season one episode two adrift written by jennifer hudson and directed by jay bayona wonderful episodes can't wait to talk about them with my fellow co-host here it is from Priscilla TV on YouTube. Welcome back to the podcast Priscilla. Priscilla knows more than you do.
0: Hello. Thank you for having me, Matt.
1: Greatly appreciative of you being here and helping me out with this because goodness knows that I would have difficulty talking about all of this myself. Priscilla knows The Lord of the Rings and all of the books and all of those things much better than I do. Now, I'm not saying that you're an expert, Priscilla I'm not gonna say that
0: I'm not yeah
1: but Thank you. I'm, I'm just not. I'm just saying that you know more than me that's setting the bar pretty low but you still know more <laughs> than me uh, yeah
0: let's put me like I'm not an expert but I'm not completely like oblivious so I read the books let's You read that the books you're way. not
1: oblivious yeah. that, that's perfect well the first thing that yeah. we want to do priscilla is rate these episodes on a scale of one to ten we are part of the double p podcast network which means that we have to give our ratings in the form of doubles i rated the first episode uh, nine double q's out of ten double q's yeah that's questioned quests because collateral ain't convincing <laughs> anybody of the need to keep pursuing the enemy everybody's questioning her quest yeah Uh, they're Mm -hmm. actually starting to discover that she was right all along on her on their own in their own little side journeys but uh i really i adored the intro the the kind of diving into the world i thought it was a great Mm -hmm, introduction mm -hmm. i thought Mm -hmm. that the whole idea of establishing how important this is to Galadriel with the snow, the going to Morgoth's old place, mm-hmm. um, the mystery of the Sauron mark, all of that played out really well for me in this particular episode. Mm-hmm. Now, before I get to episode two rating, I do want to hear your episode one rating.
0: Don't get me wrong. I love it. I'm really happy to be back uh, in Middle-earth. I think the series is very good. Nobody can say it's not good. If you say it's not good, you are you have been in hating, or you're really like into the books to the point where you cannot see anything diverging from the books, no? Okay.
2: Um
0: so but I I had I had a couple of grievances with the first episode, uh less so in the second. So my rating for episode one is seven point five double E's.
1: Oh, of course. Oh wait a minute, double E's?
0: Yeah, edgy elves, you know, edgy the series elves. already, yeah, they, they <laughs> start with, like, evil elven children bullying poor Galadriel, blacking Valinor, then you go to eat, like, very edgy and angsty elven soldiers, like, not agreeing with Galadriel when she actually had made, like, a discovery and letting her, you know, questioning her command, and then you go to the very, like, uh, threatening uh passive aggressive hiking uh uh, gilgada giving her like a gift she never asked for and she didn't want to accept so yeah they were all a little bit edgy or on the edge if you may
1: that's kind of like when uh when somebody in the u.s government uh makes the president mad and he ends up making them an ambassador to some far off away country that they didn't want to be at it's it almost yeah. felt like gil galad was trying to get her out of the way more yeah, so but I, did
0: you see i i love that scene and i loved he, the benjamin walking how he delivered his lines you no know? because when he's prowling galadriel it looks like he's threatening her. Huh? but you're going right you're going Mm-hmm. huh yeah. <laughs> and she's like okay <laughs> i have to it's like they're mobsters of something they're like yeah. it's an
3: offer you can't refuse that's what nobody
0: it is. could and actually he sends uh, aaron to soften the blow you cannot refuse
1: yeah. So, yeah 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 it it was uh it was pretty dirty-handed well for my episode two rating priscilla i am going to mm. give this I actually uh, had given the first one a nine so that I would have some headroom to climb towards 10 if episodes got better or plenty of uh, low rooms in case the episodes get worse. But I thought episode two was actually better than episode one for one reason. And that's why I gave this episode a 9.3 out of 10, what I like to call double R's.
0: Double R's?
1: Yeah. Resonating Relationships. I was so enthralled by all of the wonderful relationships that were demonstrated in this particular episode, particularly the Elrond-Durin one. That relationship struck Uh me. In some parts, it made my heart hurt because when Durin talked about how Elrond had never come around and he was just oblivious. It's an elf. 20 years to him is a blink of an eye. But to Durin, no, that that meant something, and it was very hurtful to him. And I love the establishment of that relationship, and how Doran kind of starts to warm up to him towards the end. Mm-hmm. It, it was beautifully put. It da- was a high point. Yeah, mm-hmm. no doubt it was Diza who helped warm that relationship back up. But the other relationship that I really liked was actually the one between Nori and the Stranger. Although I do have some questions about Nori. We'll we'll move on. Uh, we'll get to that okay. a little bit le- later in Harfoot Haters. Uh, which I've included in this particular episode, (laughs) but I just love the way that she was so willing to just help him. And he seems confused Uh and he's got these powers that he evidently knows how to use, but he doesn't understand how they can have implications on everything else around him. Yeah. Uh, But she is continuing to help him. So I love that. Now, Uh what about your episode two rating?
0: So for episode two, uh, it's, it's better than episode one, I think. It uh, it flows better. No? You have, as you said, the start of establishing relationships, and you can see people interacting as people, no, not like. Uh, all this political stuff and, uh, the Mm. return to evil, but they talking to each other and trying to figure out things together. So I gave this episode, episode two, uh, 8.5 double D's.
1: Oh, of course. Wait, wait a minute. Did, did you say double D's? What does that stand for?
0: Dashing dwarfs, no? And his amazing beard. It, It was like, like, um, he was the most valuable player, I think. That in, uh, we could see more of him. I hope we see more of him because he was lovely. His wife was lovely. The dwarves were very fun and like fun to be around, fun to see. And uh, it gave you, you know, because that's the thing. I understand that the Hobbits movies, you know, uh, they are not anybody's favorite by any margin. Um, but when you read the book, like the book is full of music the the dwarfs they always like are playing something, and this got a little bit lost in the movies. they couldn't capture that they were actually a kind of like a, a happy bunch you know when they are together, and they managed to capture that in the series, so I'm very pleased
1: I love that too. uh, I think that's a great double to put on that, and I'm glad that your rating went up for this particular episode too. Folks, as we like to say around here on the Double P and on Bust and Blockbusters, who cares what we think? We want to know what you think. In order to yeah. do that, you have to contact us. How do you do that? You tweet to at Blockbuster. So Bust Blockbuster on Twitter. You can also send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, m-a-t-t-s-audioblog at gmail.com. You can always leave comments on the website posts, which is mattsaudioblog.com, or you can leave comments on the YouTube videos. The YouTube videos are actually found on the Double P Media Network YouTube channel. That is simply found by going to the YouTube and searching for Double P Media or simply uh, youtube.com slash C slash the word Double P Media. And that will find you there. You can leave comments. Please like and subscribe. Uh, use those buttons below if you're watching the video. If not, we'd love a, a review on our iTunes or wherever you get the audio form of this podcast as well. Very important that you we hear from you, understand what you like and dislike about this podcast as well so that we can kind of try to improve it or ignore you completely, whichever we decide to do. Nonetheless, uh, if you really do want to kind of go over our heads and talk to the bosses rather than, you know, a little peon yeah. like me in the Double P Media Network, then you need to tweet to at the word double the letters PHQ on Twitter. Use that same spelling for Facebook, facebook.com, slash the word double the letters PHQ. And you can find the website for Double P at doublepmedia.com. That's the word double the letter P, the word media, all strung together, dot com. Yeah,
0: Baba needs our help to pay for his house, as we
1: discussed. Baba needs your help to pay for his house, so that means you need to watch our YouTube videos, you need to like the videos, you need to do everything, you need to click on the ads that you see on our videos. I mean, help Baba out. He's... (laughs) He's struggling here, you know. He's got a, a probably a 14 million dollar mansion where he's at and uh he's probably only paid for it with about, you know, t- 10 or 11 million dollars worth of YouTube views. Oh
0: my god. Based on yeah. Only
1: Murders in the Building alone. <laughs> uh which is a great podcast by the way. Check out his Only the Murders in the Building podcast. a very fun series, yeah. It's
0: a yeah. very fun series. Also.
1: Very fun series. Totally agreed uh that's going to do it for all of the podcast information we've bored you enough but please do contact us let us know how you feel about these episodes something that i do that is a little bit different than most other podcasts around here is i love to talk about the music the film score i mean if they're going to put in uh you know some kind of version of the beastie boys or something like that i'm not going to comment on that but if they're going to have somebody who is A great composer like bear mccreary work on the score then i'm gonna talk about it and this week i know there was so much great music we've already talked about how great the dwarf music was but this week i have to just focus on galadriel and Mm -hmm. this video is kind of long this this segment is kind of long this time around folks So if you're not into talking about the music of the episode, please skip ahead about 17 minutes and meet us on the other side for episode recap. Wow. What a great job by Bear McCreary for these first two episodes to create themes and musical landscapes that, really invested you in characters and in locations and in lifestyles. I mean, there's so much greatness in all of this, and I'm not going to get to hardly anything. In fact, I'm going to concentrate mostly on the theme for Galadriel, which originally, after it was produced at Comic-Con, I thought was the main theme of the show. Uh, When Bear and that orchestra played it, I thought that that was going to be the main theme for the show. turns out it wasn't. We got a main theme for the show at the beginning of the second episode during the credit sequence. I'm not going to have time to talk about that this particular week. So I promise you we will get to it. We will break it down because it's really interesting. Uh, Hopefully mine and Priscilla's talk about the opening credit sequence will suffice for this particular week. But I really want to concentrate on that theme that we heard at Comic-Con and how we can now specifically identify that theme with Galadriel instead but before i do that i just want to say a couple of things the dwarf theme was amazing i loved it i loved the inclusion of the like the pan flute timbre for the harfoots very reminiscent of the melody from return of the king and fellowship of the ring and all of those peter jackson movies That's the kind of timbre that Howard Shore used as well to represent small folk and, uh, and kind of the folksy kind of lifestyle. We heard a lot of that with Nori and with all of the Harfoots. And so I do want to address all of that in the future. I promise I will, but I do want to concentrate on this Galadriel theme because originally I, as I said, I thought it was the main theme based on the comic con performance Um, and some of the same principles that I outlined when we broke that down in our Comic-Con review uh, with Coach T actually still definitely, per- you know, they pertain to Galadriel as well as the main story as, as I had originally posited, because essentially this main story does seem to be about Galadriel's mission, even though other people are going to be involved in everything, it's still about Galadriel. So Galadriel's theme can really be applied as almost a main theme for the show as well. Uh, the melodic shape has big jumps in it, and that, of course, means that there's some volatility in the story. It means that big events are going to happen, and sometimes those events go well or they do not. So there's still that representation, uh, and since this is Galadriel's story, she will no doubt be part of some of these big events. As we go through the series. So it outlines not only her character, but also her mission uh, very well. And it was all over these two episodes. This theme particularly was, and I really, really loved it. Um, There's just little harmonic twists uh, and little ways of speeding it up and slowing it down that you may not even have noticed that it was that theme that was there. What we call those are variations, meaning a variation on a theme, meaning it's treated slightly different harmonically or slightly different rhythmically, or even the melodic shape can be changed just a little bit and can be tweaked to uh, fit the situation. Those are what we mean by variations. One of those variations in the first episode was towards the end uh, as the ship is starting to approach Valinor and they start to take their weapons and uh, everything away from them uh, so that they can be ready to pass over to Valinor. And when, especially when Galadriel is starting to be asked to give over Finrod's dagger, there was a particular moment where the theme was really represented well there Changed slightly harmonically in order to fit the uh, m- you know, the mood and the, the storyline. So, originally at Comic Con, you would have heard that part like this, and so that chord progression, the way that the chords move, the way that the harmony moves, it's very sure footed. You get a very distinct sense of purpose. Um, There's clear movement of the chords from a defined minor, which we know is serious, which Galadriel's mission is definitely serious, so that makes sense, uh, to a defined major chord. Now, you don't need to know these terms, really, but a major chord typically represents more hope and that type of thing in regards to this mission, especially, she hopes that she achieves her mission. So a minor serious to a major representing hope is the usual way that this is defined. But in this particular moment, when she is giving up the dagger, she's unsure if she wants to give it up. And the music actually reflects that. It sounds like this. So here, instead of a solid footing to a solid footing, there is this half step down from the first chord to the second chord. Just one little space on the piano, like from a white note to a black note right next to it, or from a black note down to a white note right next to it, or whichever way you want to look at it. But just a very small movement of the chord, rather than this distinctive jump that clearly defines major and minor, Instead, this time around, we get this half step down, which almost feels like something is kind of sinking out of it. Uh, It gives you a kind of sinking feeling. It also feels sad or at very least bittersweet because this is, you know, the whole idea of Galadriel changing, uh, you know, giving up her mission, Um, not having the one thing that she has of Finrod left with her. And that is, you know, kind of bittersweet for her, of course. And she's still unsure whether she wants to be there. So there's some tension. And we do get the usual first chord because her mission is still there. And she knows it. But then you get that slip down that represents a five chord in some ways. Um, And it also has some diminished chord colors within it. Now, you don't need to know all of these names and everything, but I'm just going to tell you that when something represents a five chord, a five chord almost always wants to resolve back to the one. One of its functions is to get us back to where the home key is. And because we don't have that kind of resolution in this, everything feels more resolved or unresolved, pardon me. And then with the diminished colors in it, Again, you don't need to know all of these names, but a diminished chord is something that is built that is usually very symmetrical. And there was this guy named Pythagoras. You know, he worked a lot with triangles, but he also worked a lot with the mathematics of music. And one of the things that he found was that we humans do not like symmetrical constructions of our harmony. Anything that is easily divisible within the 12 notes of a scale. So threes, fours, those twos, uh, singles, those often make us feel more tense than if we have something that is built on three steps and then four steps. But if you have nothing but three steps or nothing but four steps, and three steps is what the diminished chord is, then you're going to feel more tension. And that's where all of these other notes within that chord come from. They kind of come from the diminished chord, and that's what makes it feel Unfinished. It makes it feel uncomfortable to us. And we just don't like those distances. And that is exactly what is happening here. Um, Galadriel's discomfort with leaving Middle Earth is really basically directly represented musically by Bear here. And you don't even really need to see Morpheus Clark's face um, to determine that Galadriel is hesitant to give up the doctor. The music actually tells you so, uh, or to leave Middle-earth, for that matter. And then, of course, you find out a couple of minutes later that, yeah, of course, she's not going to go uh, to the Promised Land just yet. There's another thing to note about most of the representations of Galadriel's theme, not all, but most of the representations of Galadriel's theme in these two episodes is that the melody is played by a French horn. Now at Comic-Con, we get that beautiful version of the violin playing, which also felt a little bittersweet just because of the way that that timbre works and the way that it was performed. But here, most of the time the French horn is being used to do this melody and Galadriel's theme Uh, It kind of gives it a more sure-footedness. It also gives it kind of a mellow kind of sound, a rounded sound, as opposed to something that is piercing through. Slow, steady. This is Galadriel's mission. Also, what it does is it adds a little bit of melancholy to it. And especially here in that particular scene that we've been breaking down, Galadriel is melancholy. She doesn't want to leave Middle-earth. She doesn't feel like her mission is done. She misses Finrod. Actually, you know, she'll never be able to even see his memorial again if she goes here. The last thing that she has of his is a dagger. And so a French horn was a perfect representation of Galadriel's feelings at that moment as well because of that kind of melancholy sound. And because it is a darker timber, it just works better than the violin would have there. A violin would have been poignantly sad, and we didn't need that we need a little bit of conflict within Galadriel as she's trying to decide whether she's going to go through with, you know, the big jump to the big Island or whatever it is on the other side of the light there. So that was a wonderful way to do it. And I know I've talked a lot already, but i really do want to focus on one more Galadriel variation real quick before we move on to discussing the episode itself. And There's another scene with Galadriel after the worm in the second episode has attacked the survivor craft where Galadriel is swimming back and she doesn't really know if Harbrand is going to help her or not. Um, Then, of course, he does end up reaching out his hand and helping her. But right up to that point, you can also hear a variation of Galadriel's theme again. Now, I'm going to play you four measures I want you to concentrate mostly on the last two, but I'm going to play the full phrase as we would have heard it at Comic-Con, or as you might hear it on a record, or as you might normally hear it. So it would sound like this. Now, once again, I want you to concentrate on just those last two measures, because that's where this variation comes from. There's a note at the bottom of that second chord. And that note doesn't really fit the key. It is in the usual treatment. It's nothing new. It's nothing exotic. But what that does is it's meant to create a feeling of unresolvedness, just as Galadriel's mission is unresolved, even in its normal form. But in this particular case, it happens on the last measure. In the version where Galadriel is swimming back to the raft where Hallbrand is, that is the note that stays underneath the entire phrase as opposed to just to the last measure. And what that does is it creates extra tension. It's under everything there.
3: As I mentioned, having that note doesn't matter whether
1: it's in the main theme or in this version, it doesn't really fit the key. And so therefore it creates a tension and it creates a feeling of it needs to go somewhere. It needs to resolve. It needs to get back to the one here. It does, but only at the very end. And then it, the base note actually keeps moving on, but it's those little extra tensions that cause it. And the fact that the whole phrase is placed over the top of that. Really represents well the fact that as Galadriel is swimming toward that raft, she doesn't know if she trusts Halbrand. She doesn't know if Halbrand trusts her. And most importantly, she doesn't even know if he's going to let her back on the boat. And so it starts to resolve just as he extends his hand out and starts to pull her up on the boat, which is something that I absolutely loved the way that Bear did this. It was fantastic. One other thing to note about this particular piece of music is that you'll notice there were no French horn timbres playing the melody. There were French horn timbres in there, but the instruments that were used primarily to play the melody here seemed much more like woodwinds or violins or strings of some kind performing it. What that does is, as I mentioned before, the French horn feels sure-footed. It feels rounded. Well, these other timbers, especially the woodwinds being added in there and, and the addition of the strings in there too, but all of that creates a vulnerability. And let's face it, this is the most vulnerable that Galadriel is probably in these two particular episodes. Um, I don't count, she took care of the troll pretty darn easily, so I don't count her as being very vulnerable there. But here, her fate is totally in the hands of a complete stranger. And she's not used to that. And so the 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 vulnerability of the sound of that timbre, of those instruments, helps contribute to tell us narratively what Galadriel is feeling. And that's all I've got for this particular week. I know there's so much music. I've got to take care of more of it. I promise I'll try to be a little more succinct and a little more clear the next time when we review episode three. And I will get to... That great dwarf theme. I may even put out a special episode sometime next week just to cover that great dwarf theme because, oh, my God, I loved it. Uh, I loved everything of Bear's score. I hope you did, too. If you have any thoughts about that, feel free to tweet me at Bust Blockbuster on Twitter. Bust Blockbuster on Twitter. You can send emails to mattsaudioblog at com. You can just comment on the website, mattsaudioblog.com. You can also contact our friends at double P. Media that's uh, at the word double the letters PHQ on Twitter. Back with Priscilla to talk about this episode right now. So the first episode, what I what I did with the breakdowns this time around is I kind of grouped storylines together. Uh, but i did Mm -hmm. separate them by episodes so that we can take little breaks in between because we're going to be playing our famous game what's worse uh in between our episode recaps what's worse Mm -hmm. which storyline would you like to start with first
0: no i think you can go chronologically like uh we can start in the prologue and go from there
1: okay well the prologue does happen and it's basically a bunch of uh history lessons it's a glimpse of Mm -hmm. into galadriel's childhood replete with metaphors from her brother about rocks and ships that and basically you know how to go down into the darkness and and counter even that with the darkness can be bright when it reflects the light and you don't get the lesson of that story until the end of Mm -hmm. the episode but the moral of the story is really just i.e choose wisely indiana jones make sure that you choose the correct chalice to drink from um then we get the story of how the war of wrath or essentially morgoth who is Mm -hmm. the og bad guy in this world uh started to do all kinds of bad things like putting the lights out in the trees um then we see the fact that the elves are going to fight back we see the oath of feanor is taken um now I have a question for you Priscilla because I thought I saw Finrod at the end of that line that we saw but was I, that not yeah. Finrod?
0: I don't know. I don't think it was Finrod. Um no. I think um when I was watching the trailers I I really thought it was the old, old fan. Yes. all all the signs pointed like you see elves with swords it's dark so the the lights are gone in valinor and they are obviously Noldor. You no know, like long hair like dark hair so i really thought it was the awful felon but um the way the narration of the galadriel goes about it she doesn't mention enough She just says that they were going to war somehow mm. uh and I think they made it ambiguous because uh, they cannot they don't have the rights to to the Oath of Feonor
1: oh actually. okay they cannot,
0: so they
1: had they to cannot, generalize it more just like a, a call yeah, to battle I,
0: that's my that's my understanding they have to make like the images match what you think the Oath of Feonor would be you know, because you have them branding the swords and stuff but not necessarily be the Elf of Feanor, and I don't think it was Finrod. I think Finrod has like a, a more, a more distinct face. I might be completely wrong here, but I think they left some ambiguity uh, for us. Not to say, "Oh, that's the Elf of Feanor," or just "That's just a bunch of elves brandishing their swords."
1: All right. So just saying, "We're going to war. To war." Yeah. Is basically, yeah. what they're saying. Uh okay well see here's the thing you may say that you think you might be wrong but the truth of the matter is is that I've said the opposite and usually when somebody's wrong it's probably going to be me so I I'm going to go with that as as we move on to basically we see a a great battle in the war of wrath we do see Finrod mm-hmm. fighting in that um yeah. and he's taking on some orcs there's a lot of terrible things happening there uh to elves and orcs uh poor orcs they get so slaughtered yeah, sometimes nobody
0: but... thinks about the orcs
1: yeah, yeah so they... nobody ever considers the poor orcs uh orcs of winterfell uh who we love on twitter uh we're thinking of you in this particular case but nonetheless uh that stuff battle happens We see that one iconic shot of everybody kind of, I guess they're floating in water or maybe they're floating in the air. I don't know. I honestly Mm -hmm. thought that was going to be the end of Numenor because we know that we're going to get the end of the fall of Numenor at some point in this series. And I thought that that was what that shot was going to be from. I thought they were just floating in the water and Numenor was going into the ocean and it was all a fire and everything. Evidently not. Evidently uh, a lot of people originally suspected that it was from the war of wrath. And I kind of thought that and, and Mm -hmm. then uh, corrected myself and now must correct myself again to say that, yes, it actually was from the war of wrath. Um, Lots of aftermath shots. Of course, we get some stuff from the trailer of, of Galadriel um, um, just the... a
0: second, Matt. I, I just wanted to say that, like, I I really like the, the battle, uh, the few battle shots we get. Like, we have dragons, I think. Uh, like, the visuals were very, very good. And it's a pity that it's just like 10 seconds or so, because, again, it's a material they don't have technically the rights to. But I can only imagine like when we are going to see the wars proge- progressing in the second age, how amazing they must look like in the future. So it's kind of like they're just hinting you know, of what yeah. we might expect.
1: Yeah. Everything everything in this episode to me was just visually stunning. There's no doubt that the money went into it for certain. Uh, where
3: was I?
1: Oh, uh, so we get some shots for the trailer. That uh, mm-hmm. you know, like Galadriel putting the uh, putting the helmet on top of the pile there, but uh, something that really struck me from that time was when Galadriel said, "You know, the elves had never had a word for death up until this war, and then all of a sudden, now they had many words." I thought, "Oh man, that that's heartbreaking." Uh, Here is a group of immortal species, almost to to mm-hmm. a certain degree, suddenly facing mortality. Um, so I thought that that was uh, pretty remarkable
0: i think it was like a good a good way to make the audience understand the absurdity that was like for them to go to war when they like are basically immortal Uh, so it's kind of like the deaths they ring a little bit stronger in a way however canonically it's not i don't think they didn't have a, a, a word for that because actually they're like the um, there has been death in Valinor previously to that no mm. so but it's like um it's connected to the first age which obviously they don't have the rights to you no know, the simarillion you can yeah. see how many people died for for the elves who chose to go to Morgoth uh, against Morgoth in middle war because most elves they chose to stay in Valinor but the elves who chose to go uh they were engaging in battle already in Valinor and this was very shocking to them because Valinor is the undying lands so people are not supposed to die there that's like one of the rules completely unexpected was for them to go and not win the war like uh in the first battle for instance
1: right because that's right. what she
0: was going about now it took centuries
1: for them to win yeah she said that they thought they would happen that they would win quickly and instead it took a lot longer than expected we also see galadriel uh with her brother who has passed since moved on and uh we see this mysterious mark which we come later to know in the episode as the mark of sauron Uh um, which is on his body um now she says that's what killed her brother um i was more interested in those big scars on his arm myself but uh, i i don't know if that was just something so that they could allude to what the canon is in the books yes or, uh whatever mm-hmm. but they, they did change it to where they, they could stay safe with the rights and just say it's the mark of sauron that killed him
0: yeah i just have to say that i'm, I'm actually happy the way they did it because i was um I was not looking forward for them to change completely the canon and have Finrod die in the in the war. Right. No? right. So they managed to do like, they managed to show he fighting, then you cut to another scene then like Galadriel explains that actually her brother was going after Sauron uh, and he went to battle directly with Sauron, which is correct. He battles Sauron directly but the contest Uh, Is a little bit not explained explicitly because they cannot again, Uh, but they make sure to make this distinction. No, Finrod, uh, like, yeah, he died before, not at the war, and Galadriel has beef with Sauron because Sauron did kill her brother. Also,
1: yeah. Okay. Uh, So the uh, that's a double M, a mysterious mark, but we've already identified it as as Sauron's mark. Uh we move on uh to I, I guess a more present day. Uh we have mm-hmm. a grown up Galadriel, once again, that's a double G. And she is leading a group of troops uh through the north up a waterfall, well, up a frozen cliff next to a, a flowing waterfall. Um, mm-hmm. she gets all kinds of trouble from uh Thondir, who tries to tell her, Hey, hey, we've gone a long way. Can can we just rest for a minute? Can we camp? And then maybe think about going home. And she's like, nope, 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 yeah. nope. We got more to do. And uh she is uh continuing to press on, uh, even when some elves aren't really making the journey very well. Uh Thondir is still trying to convince her to stop. Uh, she's not having it. They do find uh Morgoth's northern fortress, uh, and they enter it, and there's a creature watching, which we find out later is a snow troll. And the mm-hmm. orcs were involved in some magic there. That was very interesting, seeing the orcs in the walls. Uh, and and, she, and that Sauron had left his mark uh, there, which I guess yeah. Galadriel's putting it together. Can we put together that whatever magic that put those orcs in those walls probably had something to do with Sauron also and why nobody can seem to find him right now?
0: I think that's the mystery, right? What Sauron was doing there and uh, where is he?
1: Yeah, yeah. What, where, why, when, how, all of these things.
0: I mean, why we know Sauron wants to rule the world, basically,
1: but... (laughs) That's true. Uh, Now, uh, Rion is the one who ends up discovering the Snow Troll, uh, or the Mm -hmm. Snow Troll discovers him, vice versa, it doesn't matter, resulting in a lot of hurt elves, but also... Uh, we have uh, Galadriel performing her first double T. Double T? Yeah, a troll takedown. And Galadriel (laughs) wants to go further north after Sauron, uh, but uh, her troops basically do a mutiny and say that uh, she has no choice but to give up her mission uh, for now, which she does. Uh, What I loved about this is that this whole sequence, before we get anything alluding to whether it's the Lord, even the Lord of the Rings uh, in, in terms of a title, uh 17 minutes of an opening sequence which goes from the prologue all the Mm -hmm. way through all of this stuff that was a huge chunk of story and they did it fairly economically but uh i was just when i looked up i'm like oh my gosh that much of the episode's gone already it felt like it just happened so Mm -hmm. i i I really liked that this the speed in which we were completely thrown into this world
0: yeah um I saw I saw some people like saying, you know, you have different uh, perceptions. Some people think it's too slow. Some people think it's too fast. I think most would agree that they actually did the way you said economically, but it was well done. Like establish a lot of things, no, and it can also lead to some. St- stupid conclusions that somebody with my mind will have like i really think these guys that uh rebel against galadriel maybe they were the, have bullies you know the mm. you can make like
1: oh so that's there, kind of a connection some, that you could make there you think
0: i think so i could i mean because let's be honest galadriel was a good commander she helped the guy when the guy was falling she saved the the order from being attacked they didn't have any reasons to complain, just they just complained because they were like cranky and you know
1: and, and they didn't like her, yeah, resented her leadership um yeah very well I think,
0: yeah, I think it's already established that people like from the first scene, they are established that people have a problem with Galadriel's authority, All right. galadriel is a little bit different she's a little bit set apart and people like and they always look at her as like "Mm, that one is a little bit strange so they they kind of they're not being subtle in establishing that actually so Mm. i don't know where they're going with it i hope poor galadriel gets like things done and people start saying okay galadriel you're right i'm sorry but i don't know i don't see that
1: yeah well uh by the end of the episode i guess she doesn't have to worry about these particular guys anymore anyway they're they're gone to valinor Mm -hmm. uh they're bathing in the light as she's uh swims away uh but uh in this particular case her and her troops they do return they return back to linden which is the capital of all elves evidently uh it is also the home of the high king Gilgalad, uh elrond uh who i don't i can't really tell if he's kind of on the outs with gilgalad or not but he's told that you know he can't he he's working on a speech which ends up being the yeah. speech that uh is sending galadriel away mm-hmm. but he uh he's working on a speech and then he's told that uh you know the high lords uh, he he's not included in the secret meeting evidently uh so i don't know if if, if gil Galad just doesn't think he's ready or if he just or if nobody likes elrond or whatever but i like the guy and as soon as he hears mm-hmm. that galadriel has arrived he goes down to see her and i loved that painting of of Valinor, you know the arrival to valinor that galadriel mm-hmm. was standing in front of i thought that that was fantastic um yeah. and i love how they speak of valinor and everything and really uh when you look at it uh from a few minutes later perspective, you can see that Elron is kind of setting her up for what they're gonna do, right? He's talking uh-huh, of the yeah. gloriousness of Valinor and all of that. Um and uh he he also,
0: <laughs> Yeah.
1: And he's also setting up the fact that King Gilgalad doesn't uh doesn't really appreciate the fact that she's been gallivanting all over Middle Earth, uh, searching for Sauron mm-hmm. in a way. Um, so they set up this ceremony and uh Galadriel and her soldiers are honored and then again this is a speech that Elrond wrote and uh when Galadriel is beginning to get her award before she knows what the real reward is um there's already tension between her and Gilgalad she wants to talk yeah. to him about the fact that she's found this evidence and Gilgalad's not really wanting anything to do with it and because of that they don't seem to like each other very much um and then he makes Gilgalad makes this great announcement that all of these fine troops, because there is no more enemy, is going to be sent home to Valinor. They're going to get to live the rest of their lives in eternal peace. And yeah. whoa, that look that uh, Galadriel gives Elrond—that—that uh, that was a stare of daggers right there. And Elrond knows it. He's like, mm-hmm. "Oh crap, I've been—I've been caught." Um, but I—I yeah. I really loved this. Out of all of that stuff, I really loved the chemistry. Uh, between the actors playing Elrond and uh, Galadriel I love this wonderful play out of of what seems to be a pretty deep friendship uh, that is shared between the two of them Um, Mm -hmm. and how later on in this episode we see that Elrond really only did all of this because he does care about Galadriel as a friend so much Mm
0: -hmm. I really like how they set up everything, I really like how they executed. Um, I'm not sure if it's uh, it fits my idea or how this would have played out because oh, okay. of the of the connections between the three of them of Arond Galadriel and Gil Galad basically. Okay. Uh, when when you start and they say, "Oh, you cannot go because only the Elf Lords can go." Are they insinuating that it's because he's a half elven, not a half, not a full elf? Are they saying that? Are they insinuating the reason he's not being let in?
1: Do you think the emphasis was maybe on the wrong word? Uh, Because I wouldn't consider Elrond a lord now, but it did seem like they Uh were emphasizing the word elf, which did something about, you know, whatever his lineage is. But I, yeah. Kinda, I kind of thought, well, if this council had existed at the after Rivendell, then I would imagine Elrond would have been invited because he would have been well, a, a lord then, right?
0: Yeah, Gilgalad eventually gives Elrond Rivendell for him, uh, okay. basically to become a lord. So, uh, or maybe the other interpretation I can have from this is just that Elrond is writing like his speeches so Gilgala doesn't want to be seen as somebody who is being too uh sus- like who Elrond is advising too much or uh like a, like a puppet in oh, Elrond. Okay. I under I don't know what feels strange is because like when Galadriel comes the woman the woman the elf that tells uh, Aaron that she's there. She just he, she just says, she's fr- your friend, right? Galadriel is a princess. She's a princess of the House of Finarthing. Mm. This is a big deal. People mm. should know Galadriel. Even though she's gone for hundreds of years, people should know who Galadriel is in Lindon. And again, what makes it strange, because, uh, not strange, but I suppose it was not explored and makes the awkwardness and the whole thing the whole idea that Gilgalad is very annoyed with Galadriel. Galadriel is like a troublemaker. So he wants to send her away, not to create any more problems to for him, is that basically they are related. So makes the dynamics of this family a little bit dysfunctional and I would love them to explore that.
1: Okay. And that, that makes a, a lot of sense. I would like to see that too, actually. And evidently though after a talk that Elrond has with Galadriel and I loved all of that the, the uh the shout of the the memorial to finrod and everything and her saying you have not seen what I've seen and he's just like saying I want to be your friend I'm trying to do this for you uh and uh-huh. there's no getting around it anyway um so Galadriel kind of gives up and she says okay I'll, I'll get on the boat and so she does and then Elrond uh as soon as Galadriel can't be seen anymore. Uh I love that mm-hmm. they mentioned they they sent them through the Grey Havens, I guess, before they put them on the boat. So that's just exactly uh like the mo- like the books proper. Um uh, yes. yeah. and then uh she gets on the boat, goes away, and eventually not even Alron with his super elf eyes, that's a double E, could see uh Galadriel anymore. She's too far out to see. Yeah. And uh Right as soon as he does this, Gilgalad says, hey, here we go. Item number two. Now we've got that problem taken care of because if she'd have stuck around here, kept looking for it, she'd have poked the bear and then the bear would have come back. Now we're safe. Uh, silly Gilgalad. You don't know anything. And then. Well, uh, you
0: know, like his rationale, it's kind of OK. I mean, uh, we have our stay in Brazil. Like if you want to find trouble, you just need to search for it.
2: Okay. So if
0: you don't search, if you don't search for it, maybe you won't find it. Uh, but it's kind of like they are in denial too. No, they are yeah, all in denial. Yeah. They're kind yeah. of like, which is understandable. Okay.
1: Yeah. So Gilgalad's on to the next thing, uh, and that thing is introducing Elrond to Lord Celebrimbor Lord Celebrimbor is the Lord of Eregion er- Is that how you say Eregion, Yeah. And he is uh, he's 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 kind of like the head artist. He, he's the, everybody's inspiration for head art, um, short of some legendary figures, uh, which we'll talk about uh, in shortly in the next episode.
0: It's funny because Gil Gallad already dumps Galadriel in Valinor, and then she dumps around with Calimri uh, So So <laughs> I don't know what Gil Gallad is doing. He just don't want to be around people.
1: <laughs> like, Dilly, no.
0: Yeah. He does yeah. invite Aaron to the council, you know, next thing you know. Hey Aaron, how about you go on a trip too?
1: <laughs> Just get rid of all of them. Uh I'll I'll sit here and run this place by myself. Uh <laughs> anyway, so Galadriel is now at the sea. Um, they're getting prepared for their big trip crossover evidently you can't wear armor you can't wear any kind of weapons or anything when you cross through the light to Valinor. so there's this huge lovely ceremony of them removing their armor and everything Uh, but galadriel's really having trouble parting with her brother's dagger it seems like that that's very important to her she might also trying to be trying to kind of subconsciously hold on to her mission as well she's not you know because Mm -hmm. that's what that dagger represents to her um
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh thorn Deer is just like what are you doing you're gonna ruin this for us too um and that was an awful as look, usual as usual <laughs> what a jerk um then they are greeted by the warm light and birds and song what a glorious song and then the whole boat joins in in the singing i loved all of that i thought that was fantastic um <laughs> And as this is happening, uh, we see other shots from around the realm uh, where there's a meteor that's eventually going to touch kind of all storylines in the fact that mm-hmm. once this meteor lands, uh, trouble starts happening all over the place. But all of these other people in these other storylines start seeing it uh, fall from the sky, including Gil Galad, um, which is really awful. But we see that this meteor crashes near Nori Brandefoot. Then we get uh, Galadriel having to choose. As the boat is starting to go into the light, she's having to choose whether she wants to go to Valinor or not. Uh, but instead she backs away, chooses her brother's dagger, and uh jumps into the ocean all by herself. The boat disappears mm-hmm. into a paternal peace. Uh, she's left to swim a long way to somewhere, is it, long, the way I get a very it? No. long way. A very long I'm, way to somewhere. But one of the more very interesting very strange. Yes, one of the more interesting uh-huh. things that hit me was though one just as soon as that meteor came down one of the leaves off of that great t- tree in Linden uh fell off and gilgalad mm-hmm. picked it up and it looked like it was dying and i i'm thinking that that was black speech that we heard when he picked it up is that correct i think
0: it's possible
1: um
0: but i i i, I was more like uh, picturing because when you have the in the later scene the the cow uh, and RNG goes to milk the cow and then it comes out of her like this black thing. Mm. So I was more I was more interested because the the leaf it it starts to get that certain uh, certain black um, substance, no? Yeah. So it seems that. That is some sort of like a curse of Sauron or something like that, that it, she, it was infecting. It's infecting at, uh, the nature at some point. Yeah. So I was paying more attention to that part than the black speech, but it's completely uh, yeah, possible that
1: yeah. they did that. Well, connection. I mean, I don't speak black speech fluently. I try to Neither avoid people who do. Uh, so, uh, I couldn't tell you exactly what was said or whether it even was black speech, but I know that there were whispers that weren't natural that were mm-hmm. happening when that leaf was falling or when, uh-huh. uh, you know, with the cow or what have you. So, um, that's, uh, a real clue that things are going awry around here and that's Galadriel's story for the first episode. <laughs> Things
0: are going south.
1: <laughs> Things are going south, and so are we. We're going to the Southlands, the lands of Min, uh, where Rondir and his fellow elf um, Midhor, Midor, I don't know how you say that, uh, but they're visiting an inn or a bar. Uh, it happens to be the place where Bronwyn lives mm-hmm. and uh well she doesn't live in the bar sorry that's not what i meant no she doesn't live in a bar she lives she has her own house she doesn't have to live in a bar evidently the elves don't trust southlanders at all but uh it doesn't seem like the southlanders trust elves that much either uh mm-hmm. but uh Aranir, uh seem or is that right? seems Ar- to trust erroneer okay aaron deer seems to pro- trust bronwyn enough to uh accept some alpharin leave seeds from her which is uh mm-hmm. some kind of plant he was a gardener evidently before uh many centuries ago before he had to take up uh being parts of of the war and and later on being in this watchtower which is overlooking the whole southland that uh evidently th- that a lot of trouble came from uh, during Morgoth's mm-hmm. time, it seemed like he had a lot of f- influence over the men in these areas, yeah. and therefore mm-hmm. uh, the elves are maintaining watch on them. as yeah. As Arrendir is in the bar, he hears this, this story, or he kind of overhears uh, as he's walking in a story about a, a patch of poison grass. Hmm, like the leaves that are kind of th- that uh, Gilgalad found mm-hmm. that was kind of poison. Probably so, um, but they this patch uh Aaron Deere feels that this is uh, uh worth uh investigating also mm-hmm. he's uh not just doing that unauthorized investigation because we all know Gilgalad thinks that everything's done uh, but he's also uh probably unauthorized investigating bronwyn herself because he really seems to have a thing for her um mm-hmm. and, uh, and then the word comes down of course that king Gilgalad is eliminating aaron Deere's position he's getting a layoff folks um he's urged <laughs> by everyone uh, at the watch that the people that he likes are bad they're all bad they're just they're just mm-hmm. bad
0: that's it yeah. <laughs> very
1: bad and uh that he should just pack up and go home go back to his normal life how do you pick up and go home to a normal life after you've been away for 200 years I have no idea um mm-hmm. instead he goes to Bronwyn's home the place where they told him not to go and uh we see her her son theo is uh evidently hearing scraping and scratching at night which we find out later is orcs tunneling under the the whole town um mm-hmm. and anyway uh erin basically admits that he loves her without actually saying that he loves her he tries like seven times yeah. never gets the words out um until that pesky poison patch that's a triple p of grass comes around once again uh, as a farmer shows up with this cow who evidently ate some of it and Aaron Deer has to go investigate after we oh, get yeah. some uh, milk that is not chocolate milk, even though it's dark. So, uh, mm-hmm. so that was really, really gross, ugly stuff coming out of that cow, that poor <laughs> cow, uh, nothing much you can do for it. No fever, nothing else. This is just the grass. It's the darkness. So whatever is sleeping into the world has seeped into this cow and now has seeped all over Aaron Deer's hand. Ew. And, uh, therefore, you know, we've got a whole lot of grossness, uh, black milk, all over the ground too Um, Mm -hmm. so my question is if the milk got spilled all over the place is that part of the area now dark as or is that part of the area now poison as well
0: i have no idea i would assume it you know but i don't think it would make that much difference because the orcs are coming anyway so
1: yeah that's true it wouldn't make much difference and
0: also like uh like some good people on the internet found out uh they they released the maps and like basically the Southlands is in Mordor. So oh. <laughs> so basically we are mm. basically they are in Mordor. So uh it's the future. Let's just say that the black milk cow is the future of the place.
1: Uh a visionary cow. Um, that, yes. that is exactly yeah. what's happening with this land in the future um and mm-hmm. because these people are so uh maybe overseeded with uh the tendencies to uh, side with a more goth or a Sauron maybe well, that's why Sauron go- chooses it as his home
0: I'm going to defend that because basically like um you. When you read the Cimmerillion, it's explained why this happens. Basically, like, you know, Morgoth is evil. 100% evil. He is the origins of evil. He is evil. So he is the first of his order, the valor, to come to middle earth before that nobody knew anything so he comes to middle earth and he poisoned first the, the elves saying oh this guy's from valinor you should not listen to them they are evil i'm good so when the the valak go, goes to to middle earth to convince the elves to go with them about about half of the elves don't go because of Morgoth. Because Morgoth said that they were evil. And also Morgoth starts to. Uh, do evil things in Middle Earth. So uh, the elves. Some elves got scared. Huh,
2: okay. Of
0: receiving all these visitors. And stuff. So Morgoth has been in Middle Earth. For a long time. So when the men come. like um, Are awakened. Uh, Morgoth does the same thing. He starts like. Uh, sending his. uh spies, he has spies everywhere. Uh he keeps telling them lies and he eventually enters in some alliances, but like half of them they are they are being lied to. Uh, and there is also some implication that there is some sort of, like how do you say that they are some are being blackmailed or whatever. Okay. Morgoff has the family. There are there are several tactics that Morgoth uses to Uh, convince men to side with them and some do side with them. But it's not because they are evil or they're inherently evil as the elves think uh, in this particular case. It's just because they were lied to. And now that uh, we are in the second age and what we are seeing in the series is that because the elves are immortal, they have uh, a tendency of not letting things go, of not understanding that maybe, uh, you know, through the generations of men, that you are not responsible for a thing that your great-great-great-great-grandfather great did.
1: Oh, so, but their blood is in your blood. You yeah, are bad. exactly. You are bad. That's what the exactly. elves say. Huh? Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, so the elves have this uh, point of view, no? Apparently, in this in uh, in this context, and and the men we will start to resent the elves. Well, he keeps they keep telling me I'm evil, so why not? You know, uh-huh.
1: <laughs> I well, just want as, these
0: guys out of my land, basically.
1: As we continue our story here, I have a perfect counter for you. Why you're completely wrong, Priscilla? Because rather than you know even telling her son that she's going away. Uh, and Bron- when Aaron decides that he's going to go investigate all of this, uh, mm-hmm. Bronwyn just picks up and leaves with him. That's not good. No, I mean, what are you talking? She
0: says good. She says goodbye.
1: Does I, I she heard. Say that. goodbye she to says- him. Yeah, she says goodbye to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm gonna go to another town, far, far away. You can take care of yourself. She goes right, running.
0: Kate? She goes running. It's not that far. Come on, she goes running, and the same day she returns, it's not that far, the guy is already like, he's uh, his 13, right, Leo, tio. so it's time for him to be more responsible, take care of the chickens and stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, he does As real a well a with that. What kind of a parent is Bronwyn anyway, because all he's doing is walking into other people's barns and stealing things uh anyway, I Theo's
0: he, that guy is evil, yeah,
1: that guy was the one who stood up to Aaron Deere in the bar uh that Theo no, is a friend you, with. I
0: mean. yeah, they are both evil, obviously,
1: Theo's evil too,
0: I I'm think I'm so. thinking
1: of Theo as a victim right now. I'm thinking of him as a oh. as a teenager who likes to cause trouble, just as most teenagers do, uh but he uh he's got some bad friends, he's got some bad influence here uh because uh him and his friend they, they're going to a barn that they have no business being around and evidently yeah, mm-hmm. theo has been there before because he does like stealing things evidently which i guess is not a good stroke for him if bronwyn was a yeah. more attentive parent maybe he wouldn't be in such trouble at any rate she's
0: a single parent poor girl okay Come on. well
1: uh, yeah the responsibility she's got to make medicines mm-hmm. and all that stuff she's a healer by the way yeah. anyway
0: yeah
1: theo wants to show this guy, a sword that he's evidently found before, uh, evidently, then also the barn owner uh, is still stuck skulking around or somebody is and they hear him. And uh, like all good friends, his friend just runs off and leaves him behind. He did tell him to go. But, uh, you know, you don't do that to your friend. <laughs> And then uh, Theo's sitting there holding the sword. And as he does, the mark of Sauron appears. It starts glowing. It starts showing all this stuff in his eyes. And uh, we don't know exactly what's happening around, but it's definitely the same Sauron mark that we saw at Morgoth's mm-hmm. castle. The same one that we saw on Finrod's arm. So we've got something yeah. bad here that Theo has in his possession. At yes, the,
0: the that's scene, why
1: he's evil. It he is. has an evil sword another evil sword how many evil swords do we possibly think we might see in this story in the hands of men nine hmm nine uh for a certain group of of, of people uh so mm-hmm. let's just say this right now is theon or theon i'm I'm back in game of thrones mode is theo yeah. <laughs> is theo going to be one of the dark lords nine kings that ends up uh hunting down towards frodo and sam and all of those guys
0: i sure hope so because uh the southlands is not a place where you can have that many job opportunities for young
1: people (laughs) so for any people unless you want to be a slave or be transformed into an orc he can become a transformed dork, exactly. I suppose. Um,
0: Between sorrow and the elves all around them, there, there are not pity really that many opportunities. And Teal is already like, he his father didn't want to, anything to do with him. His mother is overworked and she's trying her best, but Teal has found the sword and the sword is maybe his calling. So if he grows up to be one of the Nazgul, I feel almost that is like it's the best. It's the best case scenario for that uh, the boy. Like he doesn't have many options. Come on.
1: Uh, he's a he's in a he's a he's uh it's it's socially injustice society there or you know <laughs> uh, and and he's been forced into this situation by Come the on, oppressors yeah. around him defund they're the elves, defund the watchmen you're, you're... defund the watchtower right now ladies and yeah. gentlemen defund them all uh because they're doing nothing but trampling our youth into uh horrible things G- giving them no opportunities and except to become crime lords and that is exactly
0: it. He's being raised in a reservation, basically. He's on a reservation, so he only like that. Now I'm all depressed that I was
1: making jokes about it. Come on, Priscilla.
0: (laughs) No, come on. He either moves out, which obviously he doesn't have the intelligence to think, oh maybe I should move out. No, this place is a dump. Or he becomes a slave to the dark lord, or he becomes a king.
3: This is a disclaimer. Matt does not actually feel any bad feelings towards Bronwyn or single parents. This was merely for a joke. Please take it as a joke. This has been a disclaimer. Come on.
1: Well, I just have to imagine that none of this would have happened if Bronwyn had just not run off with Arendir or Arendir. I think that 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 just, just what a terrible parent. But anyway, they get to it's, her hometown of start shaming her. They get to her her hometown of Hodern, which is the infamous center of all evil, according to dear Orrendir, dear I can't say Arrendir. <laughs> Arrendir. 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 I don't care. hordern is the place where they go, but they find it destroyed. uh this is <gasps> kind of upsetting uh what it? happened there they think maybe it was an earthquake they think well we'll talk more about that i guess <laughs> when we talk about the next episode uh but that is just awful they they so they they see this meteor streak across the sky i wonder mm-hmm. if any if for any moment they thought oh it, it, did this happen because the meteor hit it no probably not they didn't think that
0: no i don't think they did that connection and it seemed that it was uh, already before destroyed but no. I mean according to RNG that's the center of all evil so why would he be concerned that evil people disappeared or died possibly yeah that's uh, a good
1: point. He,
0: he should be happy mm. or maybe he's like oh my god they are up to something well
1: see now he's found out that the woman that he loves is from there so he doesn't want to offend her so that's why he doesn't say anything no
0: Okay. I mean, I think I think he should, uh, like according to you he should offend her for being a terrible mother to a terrible son. Yes. So I don't know Matt, uh bro did nothing wrong against you but you you seem to have something. It-
1: to be like to her. be perfectly honest, I think the Broadwood is one of the strongest female characters I've seen on TV for a while. So I love really? her. Oh my god! I love her, but I have to give her okay. trouble because of that. Because that's what I do. I pick on the people that. Yeah, it's I love. tough love. It's, it's tough, tough love. Yeah, you
0: want her to be
1: better. I I just want her to be her best self possible. So. <laughs> anyway uh so that kind of concludes their storyline uh then we go to the wildlands in the anduin which i cannot pronounce that name that starts with an r not even going to try a couple of hunters are passing by uh, a harfoot clan camp before Mm -hmm. moving on and uh, we have the leader of that camp sadak uh, sadak burrows is uh consulting his book to make sure that uh, this aligns with whatever they're supposed to do uh it doesn't really seem to that that doesn't seem like it fits in the thing uh what Mm -hmm. he was planning or the analogs or whatever that it is that he's studying but he's going to assure everyone that travelers were just lost they they weren't Mm -hmm. supposed to be here it's just a just a happy uh you know coincidence nothing to worry about nothing to see here move along uh meanwhile marigold uh, who is uh, nori's stepmom is worrying to her husband largo who is nori's father about said said the harfoot nori Brandyfoot, mm-hmm. uh and evidently nori just takes the little ones along uh which i'm assuming is is largo and marigold's children takes them mm-hmm. along wherever they they you know wherever she goes which this girl mm-hmm. i mean my gosh nori brandyfoot uh she is nothing but trouble uh, turns out that the kids uh. are fine right now. Uh, they're just exploring places they shouldn't be, but that seems to be Nori's MO, just doing things that she's not supposed to do. Uh, which brings mm-hmm. me to my Harfoot haters. Harfoot
3: haters.
1: yep. Now this is going to go into episode two as as our our coverage of episode two, but I want to put this in now because I want to, I want you to know that I am anti Nori Brandyfoot, not because I don't believe that Harfoot shouldn't be in the story or whatever but Nori is a meddlesome crazy creature who messes with things that she has no business messing with. Oh, because she's curious. Come on. Mm -hmm. Why are you not scared of some giant man who lands in the middle of a hole uh, at where a meteor fell? Why are you not scared of somebody who creates fire whenever he wakes up or, or whenever he uh, is asleep, but for then also uh, when he's awake, it goes away conveniently for him. I mean, fire, that's not cold. What makes sense about this Nori? Why are you not running in the other direction? You should be going the exact opposite way of all of that. Poppy is correct. Nori is a Poppy horrible, barefoot.
0: I think Nori, I, I, as I said before, like I don't hate the hard-pots. uh, I don't know them <laughs> very well. So now that I know them better, I can safely say that they seem to be lovely people. A little bit more on the um, like hobo, you know, side of things. More, you know, not not really into working too hard or too uh conveniently i don't know they're uh, like they have they, they have their own culture they, they are doing their own thing they keep for themselves and in this way in this sense yes nori seems to be uh very curious about the other words because she's basically being raised in a cult uh, mm-hmm. she's like uh you know she's the kid that has that is being raised by I don't know like very strict parents you cannot go out you cannot do this, and uh, no, you cannot stay longer after school with your friends. You have to go straight home. But she's this kid that has this normal you know, curiosity of kids, and she's always told not to do things. Uh, and basically, you know, they need to let her go a little bit. They okay, so to... what
1: you're telling me? Yeah. let me let me get this straight, Priscilla. What you're telling she's me is this story has nothing to do with magic with elves with dwarves with Mm. awful creatures this story if you take nori and you take theo uh Mm -hmm. this story is nothing but a cw story about oppressed teenagers is that is that what we're saying here
0: well you have the symmetry you have nori who's uh, a female oppressed teenager from the good side, and you have T, who is an oppressed teenager that is becoming an incel, basically.
2: Mm, okay. So
0: Nori no, represents uh, what, like, oppressed teenagers can do in the world to overcome their oppression. She wants to help. She just wants to help. She's not asking for much. She just wants to to help the children have berries. She wants to help the stranger go to this constellation that he wants. She
1: just wants to help. Okay, well, let's like talk he, about that. She wants to have, give the children berries, so she exposes them to wolves or wargs or whatever those things were. That I wasn't think it was smart. wargs, no? Yeah, I think it was wargs but too. They she called. She, the she, she didn't know.
0: She didn't know they were. Yeah, she didn't know they were there. And immediately when she found out they were there, like she called the children, said, "Let's go home. Everything is fine." she she was a very good kid uh i would have preferred her to tell the parents that they that she saw wargs um but we know that teenagers they like to keep their secrets
1: mm-hmm. as we
0: saw with with teal
1: yeah well okay I'll, I'll concede for now uh but anyway yeah. nori and poppy do get the little ones back to the hardfoot camp just fine uh, with no mm-hmm. org interruptions. Uh, but Nori gets scold- a scolding from Marigold, as she should, and the slight suggestion from her father, Largo, who says, you know, maybe you just don't do quite extremely as you've been doing extremely, in the meantime, Sadek Burroughs is, is still checking books and now he's checking stores. And Nori, once again, is doing something that she shouldn't be doing. She's eavesdropping on an old man's mutterings. Uh, she overhears <laughs> him commenting, and he ends up having to explain that the skies are strange. Uh, sure enough, later that night, the meteor comes. And since Nori just happens to be the closest one by, you know, to it, uh-huh. and of course Nori is the one who has to investigate because she loves adventure. She loves getting her nose where it shouldn't be. She loves want- uh-huh. talking about wanderings, about wanderings and, wanderings, and wanderings and wanderings and wanderings. And now she's wondering what the hell that rock is, and so she goes and sees, and there's a crater, and seemingly unaffected by a fire or special effects around him His uh, is, sense, is, is yeah. this gentleman is, that we end up knowing as a stranger. But for now, I'm just going to call him the double M double M. Yeah. The meteor man.
0: he <gasps> should be meteorite man. Because apparently when the meteor falls, it becomes a meteorite
1: meteorite. <laughs> so we're
0: Excellent. all wrong. He's You're not meteor wrong. Man. He's
1: meteorite man, not meteor man. Meteorite <laughs> yeah. man. Hey, We've covered all of episode one so far. Do you have any other thoughts about the Harfoots before we move on to taking just a little bit of a break before we get to episode uh, two?
0: Uh, this, uh, I think I was very skeptical of the Harfoots but you said that they would be the heart of the, the story. And now I'm inclined to believe that they were a pleasant surprise. Uh, They were not contrived. Uh, I really felt the sense of their community, that they are really together. They are like families. They are very close to each other. Uh, I was actually fearing that we would be like, they singing, (laughs) you know, like they would be breaking each song and be all goofy or around or like used merely as comic relief. But no, they are refreshing uh oh. and uh i want to see more of them and it, i was pleasantly surprised by their half uh and yeah i like them
1: excellent well i love that too i i actually did find myself uh despite my sarcastic comments about nori and being a hardfoot hater yeah and, uh, i actually love nori <laughs> i love i i love the the culture that is kind of very economically once again represented um and i love the i did find a lot of humor even though it's not that doesn't feel Mm -hmm. like their purpose but they are a funny group which is great the same way that the hobbits would sometimes seem comical and in some of the peter jackson films as well Mm -hmm. um but not just there for that sole purpose but the conversations between malva and uh sadak about what, what mm-hmm. it means in relation to the books and everything, uh, which happens over the course of both episodes. I absolutely love that. I just, just a little town bickering. Here's the mayor. He's walking through. Everybody's got mm-hmm. a problem that they want to talk to him about. I I just love that. I think that that was a great. Mm-hmm. Um But that's enough about that particular episode. We're halfway through our recaps. We got to take a short break uh, because it's it's a lot to talk about these stories all in one shot. So why don't we play a game of what's worse? What's worse? Now, Priscilla, what we do when we play what's worse Mm -hmm. is we come up with a couple of questions about what situations we think might be worse than others. And one of us will ask the question. The other one gets to choose whichever choice they want. And then the person who asks the question ends up having to take the other side and debate it. Now, I know that you in particular did not have a high school debate team. But for those of us in the United States who know what a high school debate team is, then this is like practice for the big meat, right? Mm -hmm. Where you have to take the opposite side. So this is what we're going to do. The question that I have for you, Priscilla, is, Which is worse, to be gifted in an all-inclusive cruise trip to Valinor when it is actually the last place you want to go, or to have all your subordinates rebel against you in the exact moment that you find what you have been looking for all along? Which is worse?
0: Well, I gotta say, it has to be the all-inclusive cruise trip to Valinor. First of all, you don't want to go. Second of all, you are stuck. In a ship with people you probably don't want to hang out with for a long mm. time. They take all your weapons and they leave you in a night, night down. So mm. it's terrible. It sounds I didn't see yeah, I didn't see any service, like any any beverage being served, no nothing, nothing. You just go there and they Take your weapons, take everything from you, and you stand there in the nightgown looking at the light.
1: Priscilla, I think that is a wonderful argument that you made for uh, the inclusive cruise trip. I think that that is a wonderful argument that you made, but you're completely wrong, and here's why. Okay. (laughs) Okay. First of all, nobody ever turns down a free trip. You win a trip, you take the trip. You love the trip. You find it's a chance to discover. It's a chance to learn new things. It's a chance to mm-hmm. become part of light and glorious song and birds mm-hmm. and all kinds of things. Why would you turn that down? Uh and to have your friends rebel against you. I mean, granted maybe they were the kids that that kind of, you know, threw rocks at your swan boat uh when you were a kid. Yeah. I mean, that that's just See, they've hated you all along. That's why that's worse. Yes. It's, it's not just the feeling of knowing that they're not going to be here for you now. It's the fact that they've mm-hmm. never been here for you. Mm-hmm. They are awful. They hate you. It, 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 how can you? How can you go through life <laughs> knowing that you're surrounded by people who hate you? It's just awful. On the other hand, it's you awful. get to go on and uh, you know the reason the Valinor trip is better is because you know you you don't have to worry about them anymore. You're light. You're, you're in another plane mm. of existence. You don't care about them anymore. They don't ca- they don't matter in your world. Um, so uh, that's Mad, why.
0: Mad, Matt okay. Galadriel chose to jump from the cruise ship because she couldn't take that people anymore.
1: That was the only way that she could ever be happy was to get rid of all of the people who hated her so much because it was so bad. She had to commit Val- Valinor side which is to cast
0: your, no, your, come on. your people that you these hate guys, into Valinor. These guys were there in Valinor. They were they hated her in Valinor. They went to Middle-earth. They hated her in Middle-earth. Now they, she's stuck in a ship. Continue to hate her. And then she visualized, oh, my God, if I go to Valinor, they are they're going to continue hating me in Valinor like they did when I was a child. So maybe Middle-earth is better for me because they are not going to be there.
1: That that's exactly why having those people as friends who back out on you is worse than going to Valinor. It's
0: terrible. Yeah.
1: All right. Back to the episode recaps. now into episode two adrift gee i can't imagine why they named the episode adrift can you i mean it had nothing to do with just being on a raft for half of the episode uh but anyway uh let's talk about this first because for the first time Mm -hmm. we got the credit sequence for this show what did you think Mm -hmm. of all of the moving symbols reforming symbols and all of that stuff did you like it i didn't understand what any of the symbols meant i'm going to admit i'm not a tolkien expert Uh, maybe you found, picked up some things that I did not, but I absolutely loved the credit sequence. I loved the music, which was not the theme that I expected mm. it to be. I expected mm-hmm. it to be Galadriel's theme. Instead, it was this brand new piece of music that I had not heard. It may be out on a soundtrack somewhere, but I had not heard it yet. Uh, and I really liked it because it took the melody and uh Mm -hmm. they treated it under a major chord one time and then under a minor chord when the when the dark stuff started coming in i Mm -hmm. i love the way that that was represented um and i thought it was just pretty visually stunning what did you think of the credit sequence
0: i don't know i don't i I didn't like much um you you know like the wheel of time uh they had for me like the best Title sequence oh, that I've okay. seen. Yeah, I, like it. I loved it. I, it was already like every time I would watch a Wheel of Time episode, it was like it's already a seven just because of the the intro. Just because I loved it. It took it. It was a celebration. You saw it was amazing. So I expected kind of like the same treatment, and I think they kind of went there, but. Um, I don't know. I was confused because I thought it was like little seeds, and then I keep, are these seeds or this? What is this? Is this sand? What is this thing that keeps forming all these symbols? So I didn't even pay attention to the symbols. I was trying to figure out what was that thing
2: mm-hmm.
0: all the whole time. Are they seeds or it's sand or something else that I don't know? So I got confused, and then it was over, and then I was like, okay. <laughs> I don't understand
1: what's going on when it comes up again and you have the option to skip to the episode. Will you hit the skip button?
0: I will hit the skip button because I don't wanna to fall to the strap again to try to figure out what it is made of. It was ridiculous. I like you know, I, I wasn't wearing my glasses, I felt and I was watching on the laptop because I, I didn't wanna uh, you know go down on the T V here in the living room. So it was ridiculous. The whole situation was like terrible. My fault.
1: Not your fault, not your fault at all. But anyway. Uh, Galadriel uh, in episode two of this uh, which is called again Adrift, um, Adrift she starts making a long swim and actually if you <laughs> count it in episode time uh, she's still swimming 26 <laughs> minutes later uh, which I think is very funny. Uh, it's, it's a record. It's no. a it's a long long way away from Middle Earth but she's trying to get there um, and that's when she hears and we actually see in her background but she didn't see it the first time but we see a sea monster which we find out is called the worm um but there's also a group of people on a shipwreck that the worm caused um that find mm-hmm. her and pull her out of the water for a rest and hey guess who halbrand is there um it seems like nobody trusts collateral especially when they find out that she is an elf those racist people and then the worm shows up and causes trouble again mm-hmm. with this group now Halbrand's a smart guy here he actually separates himself from the other people and says you know uh divide and conquer right uh, although he. <laughs> Yeah, I think they've worked in reverse there. Uh, it was divide and survive. It was the way this yeah. one worked out. Uh, but he separates his, himself from the wreckage. Um, Galadriel's been tossed back in because everybody says, oh, yeah, feed feed it the elf. Maybe it'll leave us alone. Um,
0: okay, uh, just a second. Okay. Matt, let's, let's be honest. You have an elf who can swim for, like, days on end, doesn't need that much water. Doesn't need that much food because I don't she's know. an she looked elf. Looked like
1: she wanted that water pretty damn bad when they were giving it to yeah, her. And they kept yeah, yeah, like
0: it. canonically, elves can go for long times without that much food, and much uh, water, and you know they are stronger. They are like more beautiful. And you have, you can have an elf, or you can have a bunch of very ugly, probably smelly, hungry, complaining people. So Halbrand was just like doing what any people would do. She chose, He chose like the, the winning side. He saw Galadriel said, Galadriel can probably like swim with me.
1: He chose he, himself. He me. didn't care whether yeah. she made it or not.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's true. I, I think Halbrand is bad news.
1: You I think, think Halbrand is that. bad news? Uh, just because... Yeah. He, see, what's telling me is because he's got a bad attitude at the very beginning... Uh, they're going to do the classic trope thing and he's going to turn out to be a good guy now that doesn't mean there you won't be a twist so? later on but I, I i see a trope coming with this oh, guy okay. it's like somebody you don't like uh and then you like and then we'll I see what said, happens from there
0: i never said i didn't like him i kind of like him but i don't i don't trust him
1: so you like him but you don't trust him that, that's a, yeah that's a because one.
0: remember like everybody's freaking out the guy is just sitting there like chilling it's okay. like he expected that thing to happen. He was not concerned. He was like, mm, Yeah, I'm
1: here, you know. <laughs> okay. Understood. Uh, but anyway, uh the the worm attacks, uh all of the bad people, all of the bad racist people are gone. Uh all this yeah. left is Halbrand, which isn't much of an option, but it is an option. So when option. Galadriel gets uh gets out of there uh she manages to evade the worm and uh luckily halbrand says oh yeah you can come back on i i loved that tense moment where they uh she was trying to decide whether she could trust him to get back on the raft or not and he was trying to decide basically whether he wanted her back on the raft or not i i mm-hmm. i, I love that tension and it was really it was one of the things i covered in the musical analysis about how uh, mm-hmm. galadriel's theme was used there and it really uh was hit home by the way that it was it helped the tension um mm-hmm. but they don't trust each other much um uh, but when Halbrand mentions orcs, that gets her attention, uh, because you know that's her life, that's her life mission. Uh, his prior life is still kind of a, a mystery to her and us, uh, but she definitely tells him why she abandoned the heaven ship. Uh, so you know, she says her mission's not done, I, I had to get out of there. I, I, I didn't want to complete the cruise, I got off at stop number point one instead of uh passing on through to the next port uh and so a storm uh ends up forcing them to work together in order to survive
2: Mm
1: uh galadriel uh does what i don't know if you'd call this very smart or not but she secures herself to the raft uh in a way and uh because she does that there's a weight on her and all of this other stuff and as soon as the raft starts to break into more pieces she gets thrown overboard but still tied to the piece that and a weight that is starts to sink her uh fortunately that was attached to another rope she was trying to get halbrand to tie himself up too that would have been bad for both of them so i say bad decision gladria all the way around uh, fortunately halbrand had not had time to comply And therefore he was able to uh, secure the rope, I guess, to the raft, even though we don't see that part and then climb down the rope to get her and then free her and bring her back up uh, to keep her from drowning. Mm -hmm. Now this exhausts them and uh, evidently they need some sleep time and the ship somehow survived this little piece of wreckage somehow survives that massive storm, whatever happens with the rest of it. Uh, They wake up the next morning, the skies are clear, uh, but that doesn't mean that there's not a shadow over him and it is the shadow of a man who is standing on an actual boat a full boat uh, and looking at them and this was wonderful i loved that silhouette shot mm-hmm. of that guy standing up on the deck i thought that that was absolutely fantastic uh great setup for the next episode and whatever's going to happen with them which i suspect uh probably has something to do with numenor but uh, yes yeah. I, it seems but i i do love the way that it was set up
0: for me, the elves storyline, like with Galadriel, uh, I was surprised to see that it's the, the it's the the storyline that I can see more flaws. It doesn't mean that it's bad. I think it's a good storyline that has a lot of potential potential and will probably carry the series because uh the main conflict is between the elves the man, and Sauron. Uh, so uh, this storyline will connect these three elements, more or less. Uh, but at this point, uh, I, I really appreciated that they wanted to put Galadriel front and center because she and Aaron are the the characters that we have a, an emotional connection. So it makes sense that we are seeing things through their eyes. So Galadriel gets to introduce us to Númenor, Aaron gets to introduce us to Kazadun. It makes complete sense in my uh, in my book. However, I feel that like there were some uh decisions there, uh, particularly in this uh case that uh they didn't work 100 percent with me. Um, like yes, elf is stronger. But, come on, she's, like, swimming for a really, really, really long time. It's not that Valinor is around the corner. It's very far away.
3: Yeah. I don't
0: think they did a good job, like, uh, showing us how distances work, you know. Mm. Uh, they could at least show us, like, Galadriel floating and, like, I don't know, resting for a couple of hours, then oh I have to do it again. You know, I don't know. Uh I don't know how you could do that. But it seems like that they needed Galadriel to go to Nomenor. Uh, and this is the way that they found that it would be the best way to do to go uh to Nomenor. um and you know it's fantasy. So you have to accept there's some here and there, but sometimes it takes me a little bit out, like for instance, like in the episode 1 when that terrible Tales friend called the elves knife ears that took me out immediately Uh because it reminds me of a video game called Dragon Age where the elves are oppressed and they are being called knife ears, so I was like okay, they watched Dragon Age they, they play Dragon Age, that's what they're saying, I don't understand you know? And this is the thing with Galadriel swimming. I like the, the Halbrad uh, more than I anticipated. I like how they uh, portray him like a, a man of mystery, let's say. A, a man that's self-serving. Uh, but uh, he sees Galadriel uh, as a good ally, ally to have in this case. like uh, mm-hmm. uh, She seems to take care of herself better than the other losers that he was with. So he makes a choice. He goes for it. Uh, no regrets. I like, I like that. I can respect that, and I can respect also Galadriel's mission. I think they should have made uh, more clear, uh, clearer for us that it's not only about revenge. It's not only uh, about the legacy of her brother. It's also something that she wanted to do because, like canonically. Galadriel chose to go to Middle-earth against her father's wishes because her father, he turned back. Partially because she wanted justice, but also because she had an ambition to rule her own realm. She had the political ambitions and she figured that in Middle-earth there was land to be had and she could be a lady of a land. And I I wanted uh, the series to make this a little bit clearer no look i'm here i'm here i cannot go to valinor i have this mission Mm. i still didn't do the things that i set myself to do i cannot go back with this incomplete and i have beef with sorrow she has many reasons to do that and
1: it's just not demonstrated clearly enough by the tv show yeah yeah
0: yeah and like what makes a woman like an elf jump from a ship and risk everything to return to Middle Earth. You know, that has to be more than revenge. It has to be more than this kind of thing that obsession. Not, uh, I would like to say a little bit that. And when she's speaking to Halbrand, uh, saying that um, he could live long enough to speak the names of the people she lost, and it would be enough because she lost so many people. Mm-hmm already now this this uh, me a glimpse of what could be this storyline no her grieving her hatred for sauron because sauron is the source uh, of a lot of frustration no uh, and a lot of pain okay yeah and this and i want to see more of this so it's a still an incomplete storyline for me it has a lot to grow i look forward to it and i really like halbron and i'm i hope they don't do like some sort of romance between galadriel and halbron because uh, i would not be on to
1: that not on for that so no shipping of halbron no no halandriel here ladies and gentlemen no, no you heard halandriel. it first no halandriel here uh her 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 her, i don't even know how to say that harb how bradriel (laughs) harbradriel how brandio i don't
0: want how brandio
1: how brandio no none of that here uh so we will keep that in mind i Mm i agree with you to an extent that uh it does seem like again based on what we've seen in trailers and everything we can kind of guess that Mm -hmm galadriel and Halbrand are going to end up on numenor um shortly mm-hmm. uh it does seem like an awful lot of happy accidents that were coincidental um to get them here uh because we don't yeah. know how how far the storm took them uh towards numenor we don't and, and mm-hmm. like you said none of that was demonstrated she did swim for 26 minutes off screen i mean come on give her some credit here it's a world record for getting within a, a ship's distance of of numenor uh <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm uh, giving
0: her all the credits. I'm just uh concerned about her storyline.
1: <laughs> okay, okay, understood. Understood. Well, let's move on to some other elven storylines. Uh, uh, is that how you say that again? I'm I've already forgotten. A er- er- no? uh, this is the realm of elven smiths. It tells us on a big title screen right as we're looking at it for the first time. Beautiful looking city, by the way. Um, uh, but Elron and Cal Kel- uh, have uh basically traveled there uh after Gilgalad has assigned Elrond to Grim- brimbor and uh we get a, a history lesson basically in, in mm-hmm. our first meeting uh of uh Fionor's hammer uh the silmarils and a little bit about Morgoth and the silmarils mm-hmm. effect on him uh and then Celebrimbor is basically a jealous artist uh, like all of us music and, and, and artist types are uh we just want to always do something greater than the guy previously uh-huh. and so that's yeah. uh one of those it just it's an artistic trait don't worry folks don't don't read too much into kellibrimbo or wanting to do that
0: so uh, Feano was mozart and Kalibrimbo is Sal- Saladi. penny <laughs>
1: I could do that better. If only I'd have thought of that, but I could do it better. That's basically what Caleb is doing. So he wants to build this forge. That requires, a, well, a, a, basically an extra workforce because he's got a deadline. He's got all kinds of th- things that he wants to do with his but, great well, art. Well, what
0: about this deadline? This I, don't, I didn't understand why he has a deadline.
1: Did he uh,
0: say?
1: He did I, not say why, but it. he wanted it ready by spring. Maybe there's some certain things that he can get in the springtime to make his art. That he couldn't get it other times know. of the year or whatever i don't know uh but anyway it, it's a convenient reason for elrond to think of the dwarves and uh so it's like oh wait i've got a friend and they work hard i know these guys they 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 work hard so i'll tell you what i'll set you up with the workforce kelle brimbor uh, and so it's to Kazadu we go and it turns out that elrond and prince duran are old pals well mm-hmm. are they yeah, uh, they used to be old pals, anyway. I mean, they may not seem that way because eventually, the only way that Elrond can even get in is he has to invoke the right of Sigin Targog? Tar- i I couldn't. It, it's spelled T A R A G, but I swear that they pronounced it uh, Sigin Targog. It was what I heard on the screen, but maybe I'm That's not going to try
0: pronunciation.
1: to. I'm not going to try to speak to all. Dwarfs. I
0: like your pronunciation. Yeah, it's it's very good.
1: OK, well, uh, anyway, Elrond's uh, got to send Kella Brimborger's way. He says, man, don't worry about it. I'm working on it. you. You yeah, are I'm an working. artist. Now, I am a political artist. <laughs> Let me do my art now. Get away from me. Uh, and so <laughs> Kella Brimborg, uh just kind of gives a salute and evidently is walking away as Elrond. is, <laughs> is walking...
0: just waiting there.
1: <laughs> he yeah, he's just standing outside tapping his foot. Going up. Oh, when is that guy going to get back? Oh. Uh, at any rate, uh, because they've been <laughs> breaking rocks for like what four days at that point. At any rate, I don't uh, know. <laughs> so, but but uh, Elrond uh, is escorted in uh, through Kazadum. Even he is impressed by how beautiful Kazadum is. Uh, as we are, are we all. all. We are yeah. all impressed. What the music that led up to them going to Doom All of the music in Kazadum everything uh, regarding the the dwarves is just absolutely wonderful in this episode i love every second of it um it's but,
2: amazing
1: yes absolutely and elron is uh taken uh to a place where this right that he has invoked requires a little competition and uh-huh. so uh duran his old pal comes in uh but they don't break bread they do break rocks and uh, it, it, it it's there's moments in there where I think, oh, is is Durin just kind of joshing along and Elrond thinks he's joshing along or does Elrond just think that he's joshing along? And actually, what we find out is that Durin was not joshing in the least bit. Uh, but Elrond has to break rocks with Durin. Uh, he mm-hmm. eventually gives up after after however many axes that he gets they, one particular axe breaks and he's given another one and he says okay here's what i'm going to do uh because i got to make duran look good i'm just going to bow out now even though this means that he will be banished from Kazadoom, all yeah. dwarf lands evidently and uh but he does it anyway and then uh duran uh he says but you'll escort me out right duran and duran says yes and this gives duran a chance to vent on on the yeah. lift and he tells elron how hurt he was by the fact that elron hasn't been around for 20 years uh missing his mm-hmm. wife to uh, getting married to Diza, uh the birth of his children i mm-hmm. love this scene with with the uh, uh, what is that actor's name owain uh i can't remember his last name but he was magnificent as duran in this particular episode the uh-huh. hurt and everything and even the way that uh robert at- reacted to that as elrond uh it was just work but so duran expresses himself um they don't hug it out but elrond attempts to do the best thing and tapped him on the shoulder he apologizes uh and mm-hmm. ends up saying but i need to apologize to your family as well and durin's kind of onto it he's like i know what you're doing but he want kind yeah. of i think secretly wants that anyway so he allows him to come back with him they meet this wonderful princess Diza, uh who mm-hmm. is durin's wife who has learned how to understand where the good mining stuff is by singing and using the reflection it's almost like some kind of sonar uh because she sings yeah. into the rock evidently and then she by the way that it resonates they can tell what kind of jewels and things like that are in that rock or, or w- whether they need to leave it alone or what will help make the structure more yeah. sound i love all of that plus she's just a character man i love how when Duren is saying, oh, uh, you know, you gotta get out of here, Elron. And Disa's like, he, he is not leaving. He's not leaving until he has dinner. Uh, I, I love uh-huh. all of that. It was so perfect. Uh the two kids are funny, uh, the way they're playing around in their dad's helmet and uh banging heads and, and being kids. Uh then we get the story of how Disa and Duran got together, and then the real clincher uh to show that Duran did still care very much for Elrond is the fact that he Elrond had to give him this tree seedling uh, from the great tree from linden and Doran had taken care of it so meticulously mm. that it grew into this great tree outside of their home there in casadu yeah. without light without any it was just it was a great story and then Elrond mm-hmm. gets, gets to make uh, his proposal about what uh, you know he needs a workforce and he finally gets around to doing that even though we don't really see it on screen later on, after that is being considered and i guess elrond has been sent back on his way um but him and duran seem to be friends except for the fact that Durin is telling his father the king about it um and his father is still very skeptical of elves uh is mm-hmm. more worried about elrond discovering something that the dwarves are hiding uh perhaps mm-hmm not the only thing but at least one of those things are keeping in a box which they open up and, and and it's almost like the the magic briefcase from pulp mm-hmm. Pitch, and they open it up light shines out you don't know what's in there
2: yeah
1: uh so let's discuss a couple of things here uh with the dwarf storyline because that pretty much concludes that yes um, first of all what do you think is in that box
0: oh well you can you you put material. Uh, And I think we saw some promo shots of uh, during holding what we can assume it's a material stone, I don't know, saying that this would change the game or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, It looks very shiny. So uh, I saw people saying Arkenstone or um, like... The shiniest of the Jews, which the Samaritans, but I mean the Samaritans canonically they are all accounted for, so I don't think it is. Uh, I would say Mithril, but I would like to be something else, but I don't know. I'd say Mithril. I just, I just thought it was a lovely storyline, well executed. I have nothing to add. Everything was fine. Um, I mean liberties were taken, whatever. It worked. Uh, I'm really. Be- uh, I I have questions about how exactly Arondd and Doreen became friends because I would assume actually that Kelly Brimbor was the one who was friends with the dwarves. Huh? He's in a closer uh-huh. proximity, and uh, he canonically has a, a dwarf best friend forever too. Uh, but I'm open to the idea that actually it was Aaron or along he just introduced the the Smiths uh, the Elven Smiths to the Dwarves and everything was fine for a time I really like it I really like theseza I think everything everything worked well because sometimes you you have things that have a good idea behind it but uh, don't work that well but this the idea was good and the execution was good and I think the actors you can see that the actors are not not having a good time but they are really understanding where uh, the characters are coming from now for Aaron it's very simple it's 20 years it's not a long time for During he has another lifespan 20 years is a long time Aaron could have at least sent some like uh, Christmas cards whatever you know
1: Elrond could have spent 20 years just writing the speech for galadriel for all we know and you know he wouldn't care it was it, time is nothing to elves uh and for doran it's like man i've had kids i've gotten married i've had all of these wonderful things happen i probably would have yeah. told you about this stuff that's in the box if you'd have come to me 20 years ago but not now um so i i i totally agree with you i was this is the relationship that out of these two episodes, I was most invested in. I loved mm-hmm. the the rock breaking and how that was kind of a little funny, but also just kind of like, well, where is the positioning in this? It was kind of mysterious and everything. Mm-hmm. And then you understand that duran really, you know, is really mad at Elrond, and then yeah, you find he's out why.
0: Things,
1: yeah, yeah, and yeah. finding out why was so heartfelt. And uh man, everything about this whole dwarf sequence was just fantastic. When you said in our preview podcast that you were really hoping that they did the dwarves well. And that, you know, that was what you were looking forward to the most. I have got to be honest, Priscilla, I blew it off. I was just going kind of eh, dwarfs morphs. And Aww. I know, I know, I know. Uh, I was completely wrong. I was completely wrong. Now I'm totally involved in this mystery of what's in what's in the box and oh, the box? <laughs> and uh, everything else. I, I mean, it, it's
0: cocaine.
2: This is
1: great. They're very, it's very <laughs> compelling. Very compelling. <laughs> oh. Anything else about the doors before we move? It's, on? it's,
0: it's, it's breaking bad <laughs> uh, <laughs> in the arm. That's what it is. <laughs> oh, Aaron cannot oh, know. I did why. have one other
1: I did have one other thing about that. Now that those doors, we're going to Casa Doom, right? So those doors, is that where uh Are hobbits from the primary story is that where they may have come out from that just weren't there anymore because i don't think the doors of durin actually Mm. exist isn't that one of those things that the stories tell us kella brimbor actually created
0: uh in the trilogy in the original trilogy we see the door that they used to enter and it's uh, created by kelly brimbor and yeah,
1: yeah it's true so I'm wondering if what this is part of the negotiation. Uh, it's like the dwarves say, Yeah, yeah, we'll supply you your workforce for this forge um that we suspect will if you, end you, you
0: give us rings. a door. <laughs> yeah,
1: if you if you make a nice door for us. Um, I'm wondering if that's the case. We'll see. Uh but I, I would love I would love for some more negotiation. Duran coming back on Elrond and saying,
3: Yeah, we'll do
1: it. But uh, you know, or whatever. Because either because yeah. Daddy wants it or because Durin wants it. Either way, I don't care. Uh, but we got to we got to see those doors made because these were not those doors, uh, for sure. Uh, although they mm-hmm. were fun. They were fun doors. I love the way uh, they just kind of opened and, uh, and the way that they looked and everything was fine. Uh, I love the way that little thing slid up. And the one door said, no, go away. You shall not pass. <laughs> it was like the Knights of Neek uh, from Monty Python. Uh, but I, I mm-hmm. loved it. Uh, that was all great. Yeah, it was
0: everything was fine now.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, anything else about the dwarves, or should we move on? No, let's move on. Uh, oh.
0: Dwarves, big hit. Love. Dwarves,
1: big hit. I love it. Uh, small hit, Nori, uh, who is now at the crater, as the story begins in this episode. Uh, Poppy actually startles her, um, then tries to get her away, uh, and in the process, uh, accidentally pushes Nori into the crater. But the fire is not mm-hmm. hot. We have to be told that. The fire's not hot. Fire's not hot. Uh, and then we find out that the guy that is laying in there is not dead because Mm -hmm. first she pokes him in the face nothing Uh, but then he wakes up grabs her hand rocks fly all over the place because this dude's got something about him he's got something special going on all of the hot fire goes out uh, and then he passes out and the not hot fire returns one of the shots that i loved in this was the uh and I can't remember actually which episode it was in whether it was in the first episode or the second episode but at some point there's this huge overhead shot and it looks like that uh the guy is the pupil of a great eye of fire yeah. part of the people mm. and uh I wonder yeah. if there's any symbolism in that uh for sure uh because that i
0: sure hope there is <laughs>
1: yeah uh because that that was a little bit too obvious Uh, for those of you know Uh the form that Sauron takes uh, throughout the course of the stories of the Lord of the Ring proper um at any rate uh we've got that but you know despite all of these crazy things once again my Harfoot hating but Nori Nightingale uh not Florence Nightingale Nori Nightingale decides to help this dude because that's what evidently Nori Brandyfoot does um and uh
0: yeah, she feels responsible
1: for him. Yeah. yeah, she feels responsible for him. Even though he fell out of a sky on his own. Uh, it mm-hmm. had nothing to do with that. But no, she just likes to be an adventure. That's what this is about with Nori, uh, as my hardfoot hate continues. But I will, I will give props to Poppy. That's a double P. Uh, and Poppy's protest. So that makes it a, a triple P. Uh, but then they manage to mm-hmm. snatch a cart from the camp uh from home camp as as Sadak tries to decide uh whether they should break camp or not because this the skies are strange and that wasn't supposed to happen. So now That's he's having to crazy. consider yes. Uh and uh the whole idea was that he needs to uh decide whether they're gonna break camp or not. Um, and what uh, one of the more funnier moments was they do manage to steal the the cart uh, right out from under Sadek's nose, and not only that, but as they're using the cart to, you know, take Meteor Man—that's double M—somewhere that they Meteorite Man, pardon me—that's a double M—somewhere <laughs> that they uh, uh, they they stop to argue. Uh, because poppy's still actually using good sense but as they do it the cart starts rolling away i love that that was funny funny. um they do end up finding a safe spot for the guy and then nori explains that uh she feels like taking care of him is important uh she's making up reasons now that nori it's not important you just want to do something that you feel is important she feels like he is important well that could very possibly be uh and then the next day um she startles him she's trying to feed him and stuff and his weird powers return uh bending trees making everything look fiery uh-huh. and all of that until she he manages to calm down uh, they start to learn how to communicate a little bit she has to teach him how to eat well she sort of teaches him how to eat he kind of finds his own way to eat and that's not very yeah he is a uh, weird though yeah, yeah he's a
0: weirdo. Diana.
1: uh it's and like, then yeah. he tries to <laughs> warn her about what's happening to her father Uh, which is, uh, you know, uh, uh, basically a construction accident that happens to her father Largo. But it seems like he's trying to warn her about it. She doesn't understand. Uh, Somehow he ends up actually breaking Largo's foot with his magic um, by breaking something. I don't remember what it was while he was trying to draw. I guess it was a stick he was trying to draw with. But that ends up breaking Largo's foot, which actually ends up saving Largo's life. I think otherwise that would have felt totally on top of him and he would have been smushed, but instead he is stuck in some dire circumstances nonetheless, because this foot is seriously compound fractured. I don't
0: know. Like, uh, I have no idea. Of course, this is like just my assumption. But I think the uh, characterization of uh, Lagos, like Nori's father, he he looks like a little bit drunk all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you think? He looks like...
1: (laughs) Well, (laughs) Every time uh, I look at his face... I don't know know if like the hobbits, if these guys smoke weed or not. Uh, but the hobbits evidently used to smoke weed. Maybe they learned yeah. it from their Harfoot ancestors way back in the wind. Maybe it's been a dream. I don't know. But Largo is Look, a happy guy. He's happy in that I, he, in that weird yeah. kind of way. He's, he's in that space. Yeah, in that he's a little space. bit high yeah.
0: all the time. A he's, little, a little bit, yeah.
1: he's in that <laughs> space. He's definitely in that space. Uh, I agree with her completely. Uh, but when this happens to him, he probably should have been doing the construction anyway. But Nori was the one who I think was supposed to be helping. Now there's no way you could tell me that she could have done what he was doing anyway, holding up all that weight. Or maybe she could. Well, maybe she's a lot. I mean, they maybe didn't manage she could to haul that giant. Everybody
0: knows that. Maybe if everybody in the community knows that log, uh, he, he he cannot be trusted because he's a little bit high all the time.
1: Hmm. Maybe you think they were trying it. to get rid of him. No. Oh, I thought you were going, no, No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. (laughs) Let's get rid of the druggie, okay? Let's get rid of it. How do we do that? I'm not saying he's a
0: drug addict. It's just that he always looks like a little bit, uh, his eyes are like shiny, you know, like these people, they're like, oh, I'm so happy. I I drink two margaritas. And uh,
3: He's just in the zone man yeah he's a happy man
0: we should all aspire to be like
1: him we should uh maybe not by the same means nori feels guilty for what happened uh and now the camp is breaking and they begin to migrate so you get a broken foot it's kind of hard to migrate and that's when nori returns back to double m the meteor man and Mm -hmm. uh they have lanterns with fireflies and she's saying man look man i'm working, i can't help you anymore my where family's going my dad's in bad trouble yeah. blah, 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 blah. but what this guy does is he ends up setting poppy's fireflies free by basically shaking the lantern out of, out of her hand which was weird mm-hmm. uh, and then he starts whispering to a few of them and they form this constellation and yeah. uh, nori promises to him that uh she will help him to find those stars Uh, but then the stranger gets exhausted he passes out and as soon as he does or he falls to the ground he doesn't really pass out but then the fireflies start dying so here's my question okay we saw Gandalf in Peter Jackson's films whispering to butterflies to tell him to go get the eagle to get him off of the tower now Mm -hmm. one of two scenarios is possible here either off screen we didn't see that as soon as the butterfly told the eagle uh, that the butterfly died. Or the other possibility mm-hmm. is is that the way this guy speaks to insects, is bad. So which do you think it is?
0: Oh, um, I think, like, uh, he is a powerful being, obviously, but he arrives and he has no memory, so it's completely possible, and he arrives on a meteor. So he's not from this world. So it's completely possible that he doesn't understand much what's going on and he doesn't have the full ability to exercise his power. So he's still like, every time he does something, uh, you can see that it's either too scary or too strong. It it never goes exactly how it's supposed to go because uh, at this point, he kind of trusts Poppy. And, and nori, I think. So I don't think he wants to hurt them or like uh, do harm to them. But uh, he's still not in control. That's the the vibe I get. More than he's evil, he's not in control of what's happening. He's trying his best to communicate, but I think the fireflies incident is uh, a little bit a uh, red, uh, red flag.
2: Okay.
0: Uh, you know, this series so far. He's setting up a lot of things that could go both ways. True. Like Man could go both ways. Halbrand could go both ways. And Theo, I'm pretty sure he can only go one way, but let's give him the benefit of the doubt. He can go both ways. You know, so it's only the second episode. And um, we Too don't know these people huh? very well. Yeah, too soon. Let's let's give them time to show us who they are. Okay. And then we believe them. I personally I think everybody's a little bit evil there.
1: Wow. All right. Some evilness in the yeah. mix. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: folks, that's what we think. What do you think? Send an email to Matt's Audioblogger Gmail.com, M A D T S Gmail.com, or you can tweet to at bust blockbuster on twitter i know this podcast is called bustin blockbusters but that's not the twitter handle the twitter handle is just bust blockbuster so do that you can also tweet to our bosses if you're saying matt rambles way too much you can just tweet to them at the word double the letters phq on twitter all of the information if you are on youtube or on the screen ahead of you or in the show notes if you're just using the audio podcast form uh to listen to us discuss this episode we do have one storyline left in episode 2 to talk about. So let's get uh-huh. through it. Uh that is the bad mother and the horrible elf.
3: This is a disclaimer. Matt does not actually feel any bad feelings towards Bronwyn or single parents. This was merely for a joke. Please take it as a joke. This has been a disclaimer.
1: I think I've played that joke out way too much because here I loved Bronwyn in this episode. Aaron, Deer, and Bronwyn do investigate the ruins of Hordern. Uh There are no bodies. There are no wounded. He finds passage and uh, uh, this kind of secret passage underneath the ground, uh-huh. sends her back home to warn her people. What has happened here? Uh, Bronwyn does uh, run all the way home uh, and gets back home to warn them. Uh, but uh the head guy the the bu- the butcher basically his name is waldrick mm-hmm. he is not convinced he's like eh, schmear, you know Hoder, whatever happens there uh never happens here uh but theo is definitely convinced because he continues to hear the scratching on under the floor again uh he begins to break uh the wood underneath so he can see what the heck's down there Uh, And it turns out it's an orc's eye staring back up at him. Ooh! Uh, Meanwhile, Aaron Deer is still crawling through the tunnels until he discovers some kind of creatures in there. I don't I wasn't sure what that was, whether it was an orc Mm -hmm. or whether it was something else. Uh, But he's running. We can talk about that in a second. Uh, He went to uh, an underground spring. He has to crawl through a very tight space, finds an underground spring, has to swim through that. Then he resurfaces somewhere else underground, which seems a little closer to the tree roots. Uh, and, uh, then as he, uh, is waiting for the creature to follow him, he can see the bubbles, uh, from them and he's getting ready to take care of them, but he gets snatched from behind. And, uh, in the meantime, Bronwyn is going home. She finds her place trashed. Uh, She finds that Theo is hiding into this little cupboard. I don't know how he got in there, but good for him. Uh, And then an orc comes and Theo and Bronwyn have to end up fighting it together. First, she hides and it's very creepy entrance of the thing. But we'd seen that in a trailer before in scenes uh, previewed before. Um, So uh, anyway, they end up fighting it together and uh, she's able to use the body that they take care of. Uh, she's able to use the head to prove to her story to old doubting wardrig waldrig and the others uh decide that uh, they're going to listen to her when she tells them that they have to leave now they need to make their way for that elven tower that's been watching over them uh for all Mm -hmm. of this time and the next day as they prepare to leave theo still has that darn blade uh he's a klepto who will not give up his goods no matter he's what He's
0: a terrible person.
1: Uh he's right. <laughs> yeah, uh, bad mothering. Uh th- you know, he wouldn't be that way. Uh and if, I'm kidding folks. Uh so he knows I'm, the
0: difference between wrong and, and right and he he still
1: gets that yeah, sword, unless, so, unless his mother know. never explained to him the difference between <laughs> wrong and right and everything. <laughs> it's just okay. Uh, but yeah. Sauron's mark is still on that blade. Just like that blade is still in his hand this time when he holds it though, it starts reforming. It's almost like, <laughs> and it's got that kind of Morgul blade look to it. Like we saw in Peter Jackson's movies. Uh, but Bronwyn says time to go. And he says, you know, he evidently I don't know, I I'm assuming he took it with him. He evidently he packs it back in his bag. Uh and Of takes course he took it trip. with him. Of course he took it the with
0: guy, him. Yeah, the guy has nothing. That's his only possession. Like he's not going to leave it. He certainly behind. doesn't
1: have much of a mother. I'll say that. All right, I I've, you, I've played like, that joke I, I was, out way too much, folks. Do not take me seriously here. I am only getting, I am only kidding. People, I love Bronwyn's strength Matt, in this episode.
0: Matt, Matt hates single mothers. That's what it's all about. He hates them.
1: I have nothing against single mothers whatsoever. <laughs> I promise you. I loved Bronwyn in this episode. That's where we're going to start our discussion point here. I thought I she was amazing in this episode. She I think she's
0: lovely. G has good taste in women. Uh, the thing with this storyline is I'm very intrigued they are in this reservation the the elves are kind of like antagonistic the people there uh, you have the feeling that they are not really uh, Romy says they are good people but they seem a little bit uh, you know like when she starts she goes back to the village and she tells them that they have to go and she first finds the other village completely uh, empty. Like I keep, I kept thinking there are two options: either this other village, like they were always snatched to become slaves, you know, or they went willingly with the the orcs to join the the, the army of Sauron, as Arunji is suggesting
1: yeah well one of the things that i did like is that her producing that orcs head did seem to convince there were an awful lot of people leaving town that next day yeah so i know
0: but it, it could be also like okay now she got a point we have to
1: i cannot imagine having to make that kind of choice it almost kind of reminds me of our what's worse
3: questions what's
1: worse how about priscilla you choose a question let me answer first, and then you are forced to argue the other side.
0: Okay. So, um what's worse? Having a hot elf interested in you, but you are both unable to hook up, or to have your surly teenage son hide an evil broken sword under your floor?
1: Ooh. I'm going to say that having a the hot elf Aaron Dear, uh interested in you, but you can't hook up being worse because the surly teenage son thing, that's your fault, Bronwyn. That's totally your fault. Uh so you can't you can't say that that's worse because that's a situation that you created.
3: This is a disclaimer. Matt does not actually feel any bad feelings towards Bronwyn or single parents. This was merely for a joke. Please take it as a joke. This has been a disclaimer.
1: On the other hand, you've got a hot elf who is totally adoring you and you can tell it, but the guy can't seem to communicate anything. So, how kind of a how what kind of a relationship is that going to be? If he can't you have to have communication in a relationship for it to work. This guy can't say it. So, if he can't even say it, even though you can see that he desperately wants to say it. If he can't communicate This relationship is definitely going to be worse. You can always just beat the heck out of your son for doing bad things, like hiding an evil broken (laughs) sword under your floor. But you cannot get a guy who can't talk, who gets so nervous that he can't say anything to you, even though he adores you, he loves you. You can tell, but he can't say it. I mean, does that really seem like commitment to you, Bronwyn? So that's definitely what's worse. All right. How are you going to argue the other side there, Priscilla?
0: Well, obviously... If you have a son like Teo, like you, you would want a hot elf in your life. Let's just put this way, right? So, but obviously, I think Teo is the worst option. Come on. Like, you are stuck with him. He's your son. You cannot just own your son. You have nothing. Okay. No, nah, so you, you have to take care of your son. And your son is basically a kleptomaniac who is, uh, you know, uh, not only he's keeping secrets, but he is like hanging out with the wrong crowd. And now he's involving you in his misdeeds because, you know, when children do Stupid stuff outside of the house, it's one thing. But when they take their stupid stupidity inside of your house, that's another thing. Imagine the the elf police is there, they would arrest Browning, Mm -hmm. right? They would Mm -hmm. find a strange sword that has the the mark of sorrow on that. And Browning would what would Browning say? Oh, it's my stupid son. I'm sorry. Take him. No, she's a good mother. She would have to, to die for her son.
1: I have to say that you're making some compelling arguments here. Here's what we'll do, folks. Both of our what's worse questions, both one, two uh, of our what's worse questions, we will put on a poll at Bus Blockbuster for you to vote. And then I'll finally prove to Priscilla exactly how right I am about these things. You are always versa, right. Or vice versa. It may be vice versa. And if it is, usually uh, people vote like to vote against me, no matter what the other option is. Uh so, no, come on, oh, it happens. I've watched it happen time and time and time again uh but uh the the, the people just like to vote against me. It's okay. it's my lot in life, mm-hmm. but much like much like Theo, I was not given a choice. uh I have to live this life that I'm given, which is to not yeah. live the what's worse polls uh because of bad motherhood. Wait a minute, I better not talk about my mother that way, yeah, uh, so ladies and gentlemen, uh that's pretty much everything that we've got for this podcast podcast. Fantastic job, Priscilla. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, I know you're going to be covering Lord of the Rings as well. Will you please tell everybody about your YouTube channel for just a minute or two uh, so that they will know how to follow you. Now you do do your, your, your YouTubes in Portuguese, but I found that the translator is fairly reliable. uh, If people use auto translate to watch your I, I guess you speak in, in an easily translatable way uh, so that the Google translator holds up a little better uh, than it does for some other things I've tried translated. Because I, I generally get the idea of what you're saying when I watch them. Uh,
0: sometimes I get an idea of what I'm saying, you, So uh, I'm glad we are on the same page. Other <laughs> times I don't know what, what I'm saying. It's awful. But anyway, you can find me on YouTube. Basically, it's the only place you can find me. I am not on any social network whatsoever. So you can go there, um, my channel, Priscilla TV, which is a stupid name, but it was chosen by my subscribers. so I have to thank my subscribers for this name. It's kind of a joke. I don't have I don't own a TV, but yeah, that's it. Uh, and it's in Portuguese, Brazilian Portuguese, so... But you can, uh, as Matt said, you can put the subtitles. And uh, I'm releasing my review today. Uh, I think uh, I already edited the video, so in a couple of minutes, I'm going to post on YouTube, so you can all check it out. And tomorrow, I will be in another channel for a live, at Universo 42, also a Brazilian channel, much bigger. And we are going to discuss the the, uh, Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power
1: there. Excellent. Thank you so much. Once again, folks, the channel URL will be posted in the show notes or here on the YouTube. Do like you do here. We want you to subscribe on the Double P Media YouTube. Uh, We want you to subscribe to Priscilla TV as well. And we want you to leave comments. We want to hear what you think about these episodes of the Lord of the Rings and in particular as far as this podcast goes we definitely want to hear what you think of the podcast uh things that we might need to Oh
0: maybe up. not. If you have something terrible to say don't say it.
1: No, that's not true. I like the terrible <laughs> things. I like to share them because when I share the terrible things and I can just uh cast it off as somebody pooping on the podcast.
3: Pooping on the podcast. Yeah. Uh
1: but
0: There is no bad uh bad like uh
1: No bad publicity.
0: Yeah, no bad publicity.
1: Yes. All right. That's all we got, folks. But
0: thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me. And see you next Friday.
1: See you next Friday. See you every Friday between now and six weeks from now, I think. Yeah. See ya. Bye.
0: Your math is perfect. Bye. Part of Double P Media, media doublepmedia.com.